Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include, but are not limited to, professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ, therefore, forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bash, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We're your hosts, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we'll seek to answer the age-old question, is separation of church and state a myth? And before we get into this episode, I thought it was pretty funny. I didn't realize this when we were talking about planning this episode, but we're actually putting this out on July 4th. So I guess subconsciously we're trying to be, uh, you know, we're trying to trying to scratch that old patriotic itch, huh? Right, and, and talk about something um, that that relates to all of us. It talks talking about the government and and how we should view lawmaking uh, on the anniversary of our country's birth. And so, in a, in a way, we're um, you know, I guess this is our our uh, tribute, <laughs> if you want to call it that, to to the founding fathers and and uh, the revolution. But I I didn't I didn't even really think about that until we were getting ready to to uh record the episode but uh since it's july uh, this episode's coming out we're not recording it on july 4th but everyone you're going to be hearing it uh on july 4th and so so uh tim what do you what are some of your plans for july 4th are y'all shooting fireworks you breaking out the abrams tank what what are y'all doing (laughs) well yeah like good americans we're going to be grilling out hamburgers and hot dogs and We'll probably um, sit in the backyard and watch the neighborhood fireworks because they're having some at the um, clubhouse or whatever. So we'll do that. But uh, maybe no guns. I think we might go to jail if we try that. Uh, <laughs> but stay away from that. But if we had a tank, we may shoot it. The guns are the guns are out, but the tank, if you had it, yeah, that definitely. would be on that would be on the table. That'd be on point. Yep. <laughs> Meat and explosions. That's right. That's your July fourth. That's the summary of your July fourth. Yeah, ours, ours is going to be something pretty similar. We're going to go eat uh, with a bunch of our family uh, for lunch, and then I th- we might we might try and go watch uh, some fireworks. We've had a we've had a pretty long weekend of of uh, different things that we've been going to, and so our daughter is is pretty worn out at this point, and. I mean, she took a really long nap today, and so I, I really don't. She's she's going to be late out late tonight too, and so I I really don't know if she's going to be able to be able to keep this up tomorrow as well. So we might hey, the good we might thing have though, to skip it. 
The good thing, though, is with the fireworks being loud, if she cries, you won't be able to hear it. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say something about the fireworks will keep her up, but instead you're talking about like you won't have to hear her cry. (laughs) Yeah, I think these things through, man. Yeah, Uh you're right. I'm obviously still a novice when it comes to being a parent, (laughs) and you are the master. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so so that's what we're looking forward to. We'll we'll see we'll see how things go. But it's been a good it's been a fun weekend. We got to hang out with a bunch of our. Um, you know, our church family as well. And so, so that was really nice. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully every, hopefully everyone who's listening is, has been having a pretty good, um, July 4th and been able to, uh, celebrate with friends and family and remember, you know, a lot of the sacrifice that, that people made and, and the way they, they really did really risk their, you know, their lives and their livelihood, uh, to be able to found our country. So, uh, with all that being said, the title question for today is uh, the separation of church and state and whether or not it's a myth. Is it real? And, and really the reason that in my mind, uh, the reason that we're talking about this is, is you know, obviously, so Roe v. Wade got uh, overturned, I guess, two weeks ago uh, or I guess a week and a half ago, a week from uh, this last Friday. And. You know, weirdly enough, not everyone has been that happy about it. That's right. <laughs> you man. know, who, who, uh, big shock there, but uh, a lot of uh, a lot of very vocal and violent people have have been um, have have made it plain that they are not okay with the ruling. Uh, well, what's amazing Court. about that too, though, is so many, uh, and this is something that I you know suspected would happen, but. Uh, you know, many of your big name evangelical leaders who you would expect to be celebrating because they've, you know, apparently been champions of pro-life causes for, you know, their whole life. Uh, right. It seems like they're you know, eerily, strangely silent, you know, with this new revelation. And, and I'm sure that it puts them in a bit of an awkward situation because uh, now, you know, it's it's like they're uh, in in that kind of, it's like a situation where, um, you know, you, you imagine that... Uh, the woman's uh, husband went off the war and, you know, he went MIA or whatever and everyone was praying for his safe return and, you know, they give her the news that he's been found, right? Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, you know, she gets quiet and still <laughs> doesn't appear to be uh, rejoicing, you know, and it's just like, I thought this was like the rejoicing moment, but apparently, you know, you look like you've seen a ghost. What's going on, you know? And then, uh, you you come to find out behind the scenes that they uh, have been pursuing another man, and we're hoping that they're finally rid of the, <laughs> you know, the poor sucker or whatever. But uh, uh, this is kind of like that moment <laughs> for me. <laughs> the hey, leaders. you should you should make that a scene in a movie, like uh, the wife the wife standing at the door. She opens the door for the the um, you know the guys coming in the in the unif- the soldiers' uniforms with right, right. coming to give her the news and. You know, she drops down to. You don't hear what they say, and you see her just drop down to the floor crying. And then you look at the letter, and it's like he's alive or something. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just like that, man. It's just like, uh, uh, it's painful to watch. It's, it, 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 they've been telling us, how, you know, that they're pro life for years as they undermine the position at every single point. And right, and now is the moment where. You know, it's time to celebrate, and they can't even muster. You know, they can't muster up. <laughs> hey, look, they can't. They can't. 
they can't anger their platform man. Yeah. the people the people that are supporting them <laughs> well um, it's it's one of those things where it's like uh you you know you, you really um you they're in a bit of an awkward situation because, you know, maybe we'll talk about this over the course of the episode, uh, but it's one of those things where they've been trying to make this kind of argument that, you know, it's okay to be you know, Christian and be Democrat because nothing is ever going to happen with the Roe v. Wade thing anyways. And so now right. it's just a matter of, uh, you know, promoting that kind of things that can actually make a difference, you know, i.e., you know, socialism or whatever. And so right. <laughs> they've been making that kind of case for years now, but now that it's actually overturned, then like you're in a bit of a different spot because uh, it's overturned at this point and like you vote Democrat and they're going to be actively trying to reinstate it, you know? And so now you're, you're uh, arguing from a different kind of position. It's no longer this, you know, impossible right white rhino kind of situation where, you know, theoretically it can happen. We all know it's not going to happen so we can, vote for the things we really want now it's like it does bring it into focus and clarity that uh, this is a live issue and there are like literal nazis that you're trying to support <laughs> you know right who are going right. to try to bring the killing fields worse back. than nazis yeah worse than nazis right right so it's um certainly uh it's been a spectacle to watch the the non-response <laughs> you know or you know the response you know or the you know like don't celebrate uh you know the oh like yeah, the liberation yeah. of of uh uh, uh, I guess victory in Europe day and you're not allowed to celebrate, you know, because it might offend the Nazis, you know, it's just right, like, right. what in the world? Right. <laughs> Come on. Like, you know, we, oh, we and at the risk of getting off topic this early in the episode, I think one of, yeah, who knows what topic it's for. Yeah. <laughs> one of the, one of the, I was thinking about this. So I was, um, I was, I was working, um, I, I guess it was Saturday. I, I was doing some work and, we're doing like a Bible reading plan uh, as a church, and and so I was uh, I was going through Exodus, and it got to the part where uh, Moses and the Israelites they just got delivered uh, by God. They walked through the they walked through the Red Sea, and then it the Red Sea, uh, you know, it it um, came back together, you know, right. and and swallowed up the Egyptians, right, and. And I was thinking Wait about that, like they 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 didn't celebrate there, man. <laughs> they did not celebrate. It was a time of uh, solemn, uh, you know, right. grieving for the empathy, <laughs> empathy and compassion, and non-judgmental. Solo. It was very solemn, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't that. I, I was listening. You know, I mean, uh, I think it, I guess it's. Um, exodus uh 15 or 16 maybe i that might not be right I, I can't remember off the top of my head but whatever chapter it is it's it's literally like the whole chapter is just a song of celebration that the egyptians were destroyed by god right, right. and then you compare that to to what you're seeing now and it's just a total i mean you wonder if these guys are even reading their bibles anymore you know right. and so but any, anyways anyways back on back on track back on track so the reason we wanted to talk about separation of church and state is because you know a lot of people have been coming out and base one of the one of the big argue uh, arguments one of the big talking points from uh pro baby murderers is this idea that i like that uh, way of putting it pro baby murderers yeah yeah. yeah. Well, that's what they are. I mean, yep. you know, you can't even argue that at this point. It's a biological fact. You're you're killing babies. You're killing a human being, and um, so they they've been arguing, uh, bringing up, hey, we are not uh, 
we are not a nation that is supposed to be mixing religion and politics, sure. right? Uh, we have this we have this uh, idea that we were founded on, which is the idea that the church and the state need to remain separate from one another and in every single way, right? And and so I thought it would be helpful uh, on this July Fourth to talk about number one: is that even right? Is that right? Uh, and, and then number two, what exactly, you know, what does God have to say about, um, you know, government and religion and then, and then focus that into on our specific country, the United States of America and talk about what were, what were the founding fathers ideas when it came to this subject as well? Because I think, I think a lot of people just really don't understand, um, uh, obviously, they they don't understand the Bible. They don't understand what God thinks. But then, even just the founding fathers and and you know simple history, uh, they they don't really understand it. I mean, you can go online and watch video after video of people getting asked on the street, like, "Hey, what's the First Amendment? What's it about?" You know, and and they right. just kind of like, "Uh, uh, my history teacher would be so mad at me right now." Uh, you know, and. I think there's something to like you get caught in the moment and maybe you just kind of freeze up. But, but you know, I, d- I doubt there's, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who, you know, if you asked them, they would have no idea. So, so with all that being said, Tim, is separation of church and state a myth? Well, I mean, I think essentially, yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's it. That's the episode. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what a person means by that, but what most people mean by that, yes, it's a myth like in the, in the way that most people are thinking about it. But, um, you know, as you, as you think about that expression, there's a ball of separation between church and state. That is a, like a historical expression that is not actually in the constitution itself. So that was a letter, uh, written by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist association. And it is, uh, elaborating on the meaning of what you find in the first amendment. And, uh, you know, if, if you properly understand what he's saying, then, um, then, I mean, obviously that's his explanation for what the First Amendment actually means, but then in the minds of many, uh, they understand him to be saying, uh, they understand the First Amendment to be saying something very different than what he's intending to communicate. And so it, it is what, you know, what uh, many people now think of when they think of like a separation of church and state. I would say, yes, that's a myth. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is, like, that's not what, he meant or what first, the first amendment meant. So okay. uh, I would say that there's a profound confusion as to what is being actually communicated in the first amendment itself. Uh, but then the first amendment is like pretty straightforward uh, congregation or Congress uh, shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the, petition the government for a redress of grievances. So if you want to understand, like, the statement in the Constitution itself, the First Amendment, related to, like, uh, the issue of the relationship between the church and the state, that's essentially it. And and what's what you find there is that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, but then, you know, they will also make no law prohibiting the free exercise of religion, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, but then that law, they shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Well, what Essentially what people think that is saying is that religion and pol- politics have to be kept separate. Mm-hmm. But then that 
that really isn't at all what's being communicated. <laughs> like that religion and politics need to be kept separate. That's not what's being communicated. Uh, what's being communicated is that, uh, you, you know, as you read through like uh, Thomas Jefferson's letters to the Danbury or his letter to the Danbury Baptist Association and their letter to him, uh, what they're making very clear, the Danbury Baptist Association, they're making very clear that their concern is that there is going to be a federal church that's established. Uh, mm-hmm. So now at the time of the, you know, uh, producing of the, of the Constitution, most of, uh, you know, the states at that time, they had uh, what you might describe as state churches. So they didn't believe in like the separation of church and state, meaning like that having, you know, religion formalized within the government was a bad thing. What they were afraid of uh, was like the Baptist Association was afraid that the congregational churches would establish a congregation, like a federal congregational uh, church over the entire nation. And that Mm -hmm. that would like influence and control how they uh, were able to participate in their own uh, religion at the state level. And so they were concerned about a federal church. (laughs) They weren't concerned about the, the idea of like even a state church. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So they were concerned about the idea of a federal church. Uh, now, um, you know, Thomas Jefferson in his letter back to him, he says, believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, uh, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. I uh, contemplate with sovereign, um, or with sovereign reverence the act of the whole American people, which declared that their legislator shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or the prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Uh, so adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation on behalf of the rights of conscience, I shall see with sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore man all his natural rights, convinced that he has no natural right in opposition to his social duties, and you know all that's being communicated there is there's not going to be the establishment of a federal church, but then like the idea that religion and politics should be kept absolutely separate is essentially it's nonsense, and it's not mm-hmm. something that they you know even thought about you know at that point. Uh, so you know if you think about like the Declaration of Independence in itself, that you know the Declaration of Independence you know communicates that man is endowed by with God, <laughs> certain God-given rights, right? Uh, namely the right. right to life, liberty, and uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, changed Locke's formula, ownership of property, to the pursuit of happiness. But these rights were essentially God-given rights, and. And uh, you have to grant, like the the issue is you do have to ground your morality somewhere. Like the morality doesn't just come from like an, thin any, air. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't come from thin air. It doesn't come from an evolutionary framework. It's not gonna like you. You have to have some objective grounding for your morality, and their objective grounding was in like the belief in the God of the Bible. Essentially, right. they're grounding their morality in that, and so like the like they weren't. They didn't think that religion and politics were needed to be kept separate in the way that many people understand that today. What they thought, what they were trying to, uh, like, like the, the issue is at the time, like the Constitution was essentially advocating a limited form of government. And what they were concerned is that, you know, if there was a federal church, then that would run roughshod over the, the sincere religious practices at a state level, and they wanted things to be kept local. They didn't want it to be uh, run at a federal level, particularly as it relates to religion. So they were uh, concerned about that uh, as a form of protection for the church. Not like it wasn't like the concern wasn't like that, um, you know, 
like to protect you know the people from like the church itself they were they were concerned for like that the, the government would encroach upon them and force mm-hmm. them to do things uh that were against their conscience and so that's why it's an amendment in that way but like the idea that religion and politics should be kept separate or that that has any basis in the constitution is just nonsense right yeah and and it's interesting that so many people uh, in our day and age seem to think that you can even have politics without uh, a re- a religious worldview of some kind, right? I mean, just like you just like you said. So so politics is basically it's informed by um, our morality, right? right? And our morality is informed by our religious worldview. Uh, and so so in a certain sense, you have to have religion of some kind well, in you order have to, have, to have a government. Yeah, I mean, right? you have to have some sort of objective grounding for your morality, and apart from, like, right. um, like the, you know, apart from the scriptures, you don't have anything that's objective. Like, you, you can, you know, ground it in, you know, popular opinion, but it's not going to be objective at that point. It's just going right. to change with shifting time. So if you want some kind of objective moral grounding, you need, uh, you need, and an objective moral law given by an objective moral law giver at that point. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting though, is that like, uh, you think about the founding of our nation and the, and the laws of the colonies, uh, you know, you, you might think to yourself, like, what would you do? Like, and this is something that people are so like historically ignorant at this point, but like, imagine yourself coming over to the new world and you, you have to form some sort of government, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to figure out what you're going to do. And like, as you look at like the governments that were actually produced by the, uh, you know, the American colonies at that point, what's really interesting is that they, they essentially did the kind of thing that I think any kind of Bible believing person would probably do at that point. So meaning like, you know, you can imagine that all of us you know, are going on some trip somewhere uh, at our church and like we get stranded on a, mo- like a, you know, our plane gets, you know, shot down or something like that. And we all survive somehow. And we're on, like, we're lost. We're on the island or whatever. We're on the TV show. <laughs> right. I mean, but we would have to form some sort of government. And then you would, you have to think to yourself, like, what do you do at that point? Right. Like, how do it, now, now, like, if, if it's all on you and you can't just kind of, like, it's not just about what is trying to sanctify what is. If you were to ask yourself, like, what do I do now? Right. So mm-hmm. you like you put yourself in the like deserted island uh, scenario there. What kind of government do you form? And you know, as I've read through the old covenant law repeatedly, again and again and again and again, like I like over and over again, what you're going to find in the Bible is like particularly in Deuteronomy that God says of His law that like what nation is there that has such rules that are so righteous and just as this, and a God so near to them that would give them such a you know a wise law essentially. And that's phrased over and over again. And like what what happened like with the American colonies is they they their impulse was to do essentially what my impulse would be to do. Like if I were if I were in charge, right? You put me in charge mm-hmm. and you say, "Hey, give us a government, man." And 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 I would say, "Well, okay. The only thing I know to do at that point is to go through the old covenant law. This is a law that God actually like a, it has civil elements in it that God actually produced." And at that point, the only thing I would know to do is look at the criminal code that was put in the old covenant, right? And to think right. about the things that are death penalty kind of issues under the old covenant. And I would say, 
well, I guess like what we need to do is, um, you know, we need to produce a kind of law that mirrors the morality of the old covenant and trying to distinguish between sins and crimes at that point. Well, what are the things that have like criminal, um, uh, uh, penalties attached to it, and uh, you know, I would, yeah, I would think you would need to adopt like the penology of the Old Testament. Essentially, that's what you do. Uh, but then, like the colonies, that's essentially what they did. Like at a step by step level, if you look, if you look into the documents, they did exactly that. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. and like, and that's why you know, um, buggery or sodomy was considered like a capital offense like in the colony and in, in many of the colonies is because they're just reading the old covenant and they're doing what they find there that's what they're doing you know they're looking at and say hey you know these are pretty good <laughs> well i mean and i don't know how you can improve upon them right and so right. like but then the issue is like during the time like like th- there were anti-sodomy laws like in america in most states up until very, very recently. And the reason why mm-hmm. is because they were there because they read the Old Testament and that's what they did. And so no one at the time thought that like some sort of separation of church and state meant that like state, like the uh, Bible and politics must be like kept absolutely separate. In fact, that's totally irrational. You can't even do that. You have to have some objective grounding for your morality. Like why mm-hmm. is murder wrong, right? Right. Like why is stealing wrong? Why should murder and stealing be criminal? And you can't just say, because I don't like it, okay? Right, yeah. <laughs> like, that yeah. is not sufficient moral reasoning to say, I dislike it, therefore, like, let's n- n- make it, r- like, illegal, right? What you have to do mm-hmm. is you have to have some objective moral grounding for the laws that you come up with. And if you don't appeal to the Bible, what do you appeal to, okay? <laughs> Right. Like, like, what are you going to appeal to? And so, like, the issue at the time was not that they were saying, like religion and politics need to be kept separate. In fact, what they said was that, you know, the Constitution was, you know, uh, given for a moral and a religious people, and it was wholly inadequate for any other kind of people. They understood that, like, morality was intrinsically tied to the scriptures, and they produced a legal system that was, in large measure, based on the morality of the Bible. And, like, that's what they did. And so, like, the issue was not keeping religion and politics separate. It had nothing to do with, you know, you can't pray at, uh, you know, a football game or at a school or something like that. Right. Although, I mean, we may not, we may want to wade into that topic at some point later, but like that, it had nothing to do with, you know, taking the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse or anything like that, keeping these things separate. What it had to do was uh, they were preventing the federal government from adopting a state church that would exercise authority over the religious practices of, you know, the entire nation at that point. And they wanted to keep these things at a local level. And at a local level, they had state churches and almost all, all of them. So like, that's the point. Like, so it had nothing to do with that essentially. Yeah. And, and I think we've talked about this before, but essentially, you know, that's the crux of the issue. And in a lot of ways is this idea that, um, you know, that you can have government, without some some sort of religion at all there's right. a lot of people who really do think that you can have government without religion and then turn around and try and push their specific religion on mm. the government they live under right and and then you know they they try and pretend that they're objective with it but then you know the reality is even the atheist is a deeply religious person the problem is they have no way to justify their religion, and so what they end up doing is they just steal from
from the Christian worldview a lot of times yep. in a lot of different ways and pretend that it's like some yeah, you know common obvious sense. common sense thing that any right-minded person would come to when the reality is there's plenty of people who don't come to yep. <laughs> who don't agree with them and we as Christian we as Christians can say hey look you know when when Hitler kills 6 million people when Stalin kills 20 million people when when uh Mao kills like uh, I don't even I don't remember how many he killed it was it was at least 20 million I think it was a lot more than that though um when they do that when we do when they do that we can say yep that's evil yep. why cuz because god has told us that killing people is evil the atheist can't say that the atheist can say well i don't like it i don't you know yep. i think it's bad but but then okay why yeah but yeah but it says who <laughs> but that's even like it's it's contradictory to darwinism itself <laughs> you know right like in that like it's it's uh you know darwinism is based on the idea of like survival of the fittest and might right, makes right. right and like in so like it's it is formally contradictory to darwinism but not only is it formally contradictory it's logically contradictory in the same kind of way and so like you know, it's not whether whether you're going to have some sort of morality. It's like what morality are you going to adopt? But I think I think for many people, uh, if I could maybe um, share my own kind of um, you know, be a little autobiographical or something at that point, uh, reaction to this kind of discussion. Uh, I think uh, for many people, there is a very much an ignorance about. Um, what the Constitution is saying at that point, and ignorance about history, but then there's also uh, what you might describe as like the common kind of, um, you know, as I've been a Christian and interacted with these discussions over the years, there's the common kind of way that I think individuals have um, articulated this kind of thing is something that I, you know, when I was growing up, I, I was never persuaded was reasonable. But at the same time, I didn't know that I had a way of arguing with it. But you know, it's 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 the idea that like you, um, you know, you, you imagine yourself talking with a uh, you know an atheist or something like that, and like you're trying to get them to you know adopt whatever political philosophy that you have, right? And then you know, essentially mm -hmm. like what people are afraid of, and this is what people I knew growing up were afraid of, is they're afraid of like the response to the question, you know, so what, right? So like, meaning like if, if uh, someone were to say, you know, um, if I were to say, hey, abortion's wrong, well, why do you think abortion's wrong? Well, because the Bible says it. And then their response to that is, well, I don't believe the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of Christians at that point who are deeply flummoxed by that response, right? <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Like they don't know what to do with that. Right. So it's just like, you know, you, you, I don't believe the Bible checkmate, you know, therefore, you know, you shouldn't be trying to impose your religion upon me. Uh, so then like the response for many Christians at that point, and I remember that this is like, I had many friends who, you know, felt like that was just some sort of absolute overpowering objection they had nothing to do with. And so because they were going to hear that response, that led them to think, well, the only way to interact with this and to argue with this at that point is just to try to appeal to common ground, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And and so then it's just like, well, I can't use the Bible to argue with someone who doesn't believe the Bible. Therefore, the only thing I can do going forward is it. The only thing that's left to me is just to try to appeal to common sense or common, 
common consensus. But then the problem, though, is as you watch our culture decay, like common sense isn't common sense. Okay, right? Yeah, <laughs> like it's meaning, not very common anymore. It, it's not very common anymore. Uh, but then there's no settled, agreed upon definition of what common sense is, and like, like the that kind of idea, like pretends like that there's some sort of neutral morality out there that everyone can agree upon. Now the problem is like because our our country was founded on a Christian worldview and you're living in the vestiges of that Christian worldview. Yeah, you know what? There's plenty of guys like uh um you know James Lindsay I think is anti-abortion. I don't know. Uh I need to probably look that up, but there's plenty of like if he's not at least at least not, he's anti-socialism, you know. So mm-hmm. there's that, but like like the idea is like you can appeal to, you know, like this idea of property rights because we used to believe in that. But the problem is that you know, everything's up in the air at this point. You know, as you check God, you refuse to acknowledge him in our hearts. You know, almost everything's on the table and there's no shared morality anymore. And and like you have women shouting their abortions and, you know, talking about, um, you know, getting pregnant with like Republicans babies just so that they can slaughter them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's no common ground there. <laughs> okay. And yeah, like the, no. the more that you chuck religion, the more, you know, um, uh, paganism that you're going to see and, and the less morality that you see. And we don't even like, like we used to think that genital mutilation was a bad thing and now we're praising it as a virtue. Like, right. and, you know, praising like, uh, you know, castration of men and, you know, the, uh, um, breast removal surgeries for women. Like we, we're at a point now where like we are so far gone and there is no like neutral, you know, shared Christian worldview that you can appeal to with the pagans in, in, anymore. We don't even know the difference between a male and a female. And, and so, and that, what that does though, is it causes you to rethink that basic argument that like there's some sort of neutral common ground out there that you can appeal to. And what you really do have to do is you have to say, thus says the Lord and do it with conviction. And that's, right. the, and that's the only thing you can say is that like, yeah. I like, and that's the very thing that people are humiliated and embarrassed to say. And that's something that, you know, growing up, I just, I didn't quite understand why they seem to be so embarrassed to just say, God says it, I believe it, that settles it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, God is the king above all other kings and authorities, and what he says goes, and he commands everywhere, everyone everywhere to repent, and it's his world, and it doesn't matter whether or not you submit to him, he makes the rules. And, you know, I have no argument with you other than God says it. And I'm not right. embarrassed by that. And there's yeah. no reason to be embarrassed by that. Like God says, it doesn't matter whether or not you like it, you know? Uh, yeah. and, and you can make that kind of case when you know that the Holy spirit has been sent into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Like you, when you, um, you know, speak what's right. Like, like the issue is you have heaven and earth behind you at that point and you don't have to fear them. And you don't have to be embarrassed about that. And like, there's nothing embarrassing about standing on the words of God. So, right, yeah, and and you know that kind of that kind of gets back to um, what I was saying a few minutes ago. You know, if you are the person who is looking at government, and you you know you look like you look at things like Roe v. Wade being overturned, which by the way doesn't even outlaw abortion; it just turns it back to the it, it makes it a decision of the states again, right? So right. it's not even a full-on outlaw. It's just a you know, the discussion has moved now uh, from 
from a federal level a to a state level. Yeah, it's a constitutional right now. It's like no, it never was a constitutional right. It wasn't in the pure purview of the Constitution. Right now, the states right. can decide it. You know. Right, and and so you know you um you look at this discussion and we we as Christians we can look at this and say hey it's wrong to kill babies right why why is it wrong to kill babies because god said it's wrong to murder people right, right? god god has given each of us uh, a right to life that can't be taken away unless we do something to forfeit that right so like you know we we kill someone else or you know um uh, we we rape someone or you know something along those lines um those would be examples of we've given up that right to life but someone can't just come and take it for no reason um now that's that's what god has said and we can say because god said if you're the if you're the atheist you can't say you don't have an explanation you know if you're wanting government to be to be you know "Quote unquote neutral as it respect uh, as it uh, relates to religion, then you have you've basically thrown away any justification for any right that you think you have. So, if you think you have a right to life as an atheist who rejects God, you're you're throwing away the founding fathers' justification for it, and you now need to prove yourself where your right to life comes from." You know, I, I, we as Christians, obviously, we, th- we think you have that right, and so we don't want to violate it. But then someone else could come along who's stronger than you, who doesn't care uh, that you think you have a right to your own life, and say, "Hey, I don't think you have a right to your life," and they could kill you, and and you wouldn't you wouldn't even have a just you wouldn't even have a justification for it. We can say God said, and then turn around and turn the question back to the atheist and say, "Where do you get your justification for your right to life?" And well, those the, and are some I, of the most those are some of the most uh, powerful moments in you know many of the atheist debates I've ever watched is that when, when a Christian brings up you know that moral objection at that point and you know what is the basis for your morality and you know I've never seen an atheist actually have a good answer to that kind of question because there really isn't one like and there's right all there's they can, not all they can do is just fumble around and say hey you know I don't like being killed do you like being killed and it's like no like <laughs> but so what. Right. So like there's plenty like what's like, how do you describe it as objectively right or objectively wrong? And uh, Christians at that point, they need to you know give up this myth, like, uh, give up this uh, nonsense view that there's some sort of common ground here and go on the offensive and essentially point out the contradiction. And Darwinism doesn't have an explanation for morality. You know, atheism doesn't have an explanation for morality. And I think the more polarized our country gets, the, the stronger that objection actually is. So. No, right. I don't want to live in a cannibalistic society, but why is it wrong for individuals who are more advanced technologically than me to kill me and to eat me, right? Right. <laughs> like, how am I to say, who am I to say that's wrong? I mean, that happens in the animal kingdom all the time. Just observe the behavior of lions. That's certainly natural, and that's certainly normal, and that's certainly common. So if I'm just an advanced animal, why can't I kill people I don't like and eat them, right? Right. <laughs> Right. Like, and there's no like biological reason why that's wrong. There's no like, you know, shared social consensus throughout all time and all of history to say that that's wrong. Like, majority rule doesn't decide it. Like, our majority rule has dramatically flip flopped over the 
course of, <laughs> you know, just a few years. Uh, although I think, you know, many people who are caught up in the LGBTQ, whatever, uh, nonsense are in the minority, but then they're loud and vocal and in charge. The, the fact remains that there's not like some kind of consensus in our society over even basic things like what is a woman and mm-hmm. what is a man. And, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, can people define radically what their gender is? And so at that point you do have to press like the atheists and you do have to press the secularists. And like, you, you do have to ask, you know, what is the source of your grounding for morality? And the fact is they don't have an answer to it at all. Yeah, I mean, there's literally, I mean, they'll they'll have a response. It just won't be a good response, right? Um, you know, they'll they'll appeal to the whole like common sense. Everyone knows it's wrong to kill someone. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, and it's like, well, no, everyone doesn't know it's wrong to I mean, kill obviously someone. We've everyone sixty million babies. <laughs> right, right. Just look at the abortion discussion. It's obviously not common sense. Um, right, at right. all. Which is pretty funny, you know. I'm 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 sure you've probably seen the you know. The response before to Christianity that you know if you need a book from a, a sky fairy to tell you what's right and wrong then you might be a terrible person sure. and but then they're the same people that are screaming at the top of their lungs to for the quote unquote right to murder their unborn child <laughs> you know uh, to so chop like, them up in their mother's womb and to you know mutilate people so they're unable to have kids for the rest of their life and right you know and they're those I mean, same kind of people you know. So, yeah, yeah give, give me a break. With, give me, give me a break with all that stuff. That's that's totally ridiculous. So, so you have this idea that government um, and religion are inherently tied together uh, uh, in some capacity, right? And when you look at the founding fa- when you look at the founding fathers, it, you know, you see the you see the Declaration of Independence, which is essentially viewed as the why behind form the United States of America, right? That's, that's how Abraham Lincoln viewed it. He viewed it as, um, the why. And then the constitution was the, what basically like, what does the country actually look like? And, and, uh, in, in the declaration of independence, you see the founding fathers say, Hey, every single citizen of the United of, of our new country that we're forming and, and every man has certain rights given to them by God. Uh, and those rights cannot be taken away uh, unjustly, right? And right. So, so you clearly have you clearly have a religious worldview affecting uh, government in some way. So that that's what the founding fathers thought. But then, what Tim? Could you just maybe explain for us a little bit? Um, you know, does the Bible, uh, you know. Teach us that God has a certain perspective on how uh, government should operate, and what I mean there is, you know, obviously, obviously the Israelites, um, they were, they were a nation under God, right? Um, they they were founded by God, right? He he establishes them, he gives them all their laws, uh, and he spells everything out plainly for them, and and tells them to follow him, and, and even go so far as to say. You know, for a long time, don't have a king. Um, if uh, I will be your king instead, I will be your leader. And obviously, we know that they eventually they left that idea behind, and and it wasn't very good for them. But uh, so we know that when it comes to the Israelites, uh, you know, God was obviously very integral to their government structure. But then, 
how does it relate to um, you know other countries that are not that are not considered like God's you know chosen people as the Israelites were? Um, you just have you know pagan nations everywhere else. It, it, does God view those other nations as they would be better off if they established some some form of uh, uh, Christianity as like the justification? For their governments, or does God think that they're better off being, you know, pagan? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think everyone has to basically run the deserted island experiment that I mentioned, and you know, think about you know what would you do if you were in charge with, you know, essentially uh, coming up with a government right now, and you know, I think. The problem is that you know, as you read through the Old Covenant Law, the Old Covenant Law was doing a variety of things. So the Old Covenant Law essentially had um, what you might describe as civil laws, meaning it had within it like laws about uh, that were uh, essentially providing a penal code for the Israelites. So it had those kind of laws. It had like a sacrificial system kind of laws, and then it also had, you know, what you describe as sins or, you know, moral kind of law that was present within it. So you have different kinds of things that were all in this one package, which is described a law, which is presented as a unity uh, to the Israelites at that point. But like it was a law that accomplished or that uh, had many functions as far as that goes. Uh, So part of it was to tell them, you know, God's standards for them as individuals. Part of it was a, a law to tell them God's standards for them as a nation. And then part of it was, you know, to give them some uh, mechanism for, you know, atoning in a temporary way for their own sin. So you had those different kind of components within it as a unity. Uh, But then, you know, as I mentioned before, if you just read Deuteronomy 4, like 5, for instance, uh, see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses, that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of them. Keep them and do them, for they will be your wisdom and understanding in the sights of the people, uh, peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as Yahweh our God is to us whenever we call upon them? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? Uh, and then he tells him, only take care and keep your uh, soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So make them known to your children and to your children's children. Now, like when you think about what's actually there, like the, the God viewed his law as absolutely, like even, like, you know, if you think about like, how do you form a government? Well, it tells you what kind of government to form within the old covenant law. And God viewed that as absolutely superior to anything that ever existed at the mm-hmm. time, right? And so one of the things that's very difficult for me to imagine is it's difficult for me to imagine that there's any way to, you know, human beings can come up with something that's better. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like if God, like I think uh, if God had a vested interest in creating a government, I would want to know what he thought was <laughs> the kind of features that he wanted within that government. Now, surely... What you have to do is you have to think, well, how has the coming of Christ influenced some of the things that are there? In particular, I'm thinking of like, um, you know, now that Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for sins, you it would be immoral, you know, to go back to the old sacrificial system for sure. 
So you do have to think about how Jesus like um, fulfills certain aspects of the law and has um, right. brought them to completion. But at the same time, you know, if you if you're asking me, you know, what kind of law should a society come up with, like a legal code uh, in terms of uh, like a government structure? It's it seems to me to be the height of arrogance and hubris uh, to think that you can somehow come up with something better than what God came up with. And so, you know, if you were to ask me, what do we do? I don't know that I, I don't know how I can improve upon what God did. And I would want to know what he did and be influenced uh, by what he did at that point. And like, so I don't know that I have any kind of ability to come up with something better. And it would feel very prideful and arrogant to think that I could. Uh, so, you know, if God made a government, you might want to study the kind of government he made so that you would know what kind of government you should be making because right. that government itself does provide like a definition for what is just and what is right and what is moral. And I just, I simply don't know how to improve upon it. Okay. Like I don't. Yeah. So, so then like the issue then is like, um, like, you know, there's a whole discussion about like theonomy as it relates to this kind of topic. And without necessarily wading into that you know, mess, <laughs> yeah. I would say at the very least, like I, I don't understand how you can improve upon God's law and if anyone were to ask me what you know should be done, I would say I would I would want to I would think that a a nation, you know, if a uh, like and if God says of His law, you know, what nation is there that has statutes and rules so wise as this, and a God so near to them than that? I would think at the very least, like what you should be doing is you should be looking to the old covenant law to define morality for you. And the thing is, America largely did that. You know, right. like they largely did that. That's why. You know, we had, we, like, you know, many of the things that we've overturned recently were things that were, you know, founded fundamentally in a biblical worldview. And some of these things are very deeply unpopular. And we don't even know why we've overturned them. But the reason why we've overturned them is because we're checking a biblical morality at that point. And like that even shows up with, um, like, um, you know, this might uh, scandalize people, but. I don't know that we've ever been afraid of this in the past, but, uh, you know, why do you think that women's suffrage wasn't a thing, right? Uh-huh. Why do you think it wasn't a thing for so long? And, and like, is the fact that we've uh, granted, you know, women right to vote now, is that, like, a wonderful thing? Well, the thing is, like, if God created, like, men to be leaders in their home, right? Mm -hmm. If God created men to be leaders in their home— and like he ordained within the church that like a woman is not to teach or exercise authority over a man, and like like then what you have to understand is like like the reason why there wasn't women suffrage is because it was based on a biblical worldview that said that the husband was the authority over a wife, and the husband should represent the family as a family unit. <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. so when you think about it in that kind of way, right, like. Like what? It would make a kind of sense to say yes, the husband should vote. And now, if the wife has the ability to cancel out her husband's vote by having a right to vote, that undermines his authority to influence the society in that kind of way. But we're so far from that, we don't even think like, why was that there? Do you get right. what I'm saying? We just right. think it was a well. We believe the feminist lie that it was hateful to women and everything else. But like the issue is that like this was founded on a Christian worldview. That's why we had anti-sodomy laws because. The old old covenant, you know, makes sodomy a death penalty offense. Right. Like that's why we did that, right? And so that's it wasn't because we just you know hated sexual minorities or anything else. We had a Christian worldview, 
and we had laws that were based on that and now we've gotten rid of them okay mm-hmm. so then the so then like to answer your question you know in a little bit shorter way i don't i don't know how like i don't know how you ground like your civil code apart from the bible and i think you know america was a some sort of a effort to do essentially that to copy what you're going to find in the old covenant law and to, like that's that's essentially what the american experiment was and that's why they're saying it's you know suited for a moral and a religious people and wholly adequate inadequate for any other and so I, I if you don't appeal to the bible i don't know what you're appealing to like you know so what what do you appeal to at that point and how you're going to make your laws mm-hmm. uh, you know and I, and I i think if you listen to a lot of christians at this point and you run through the deserted island experiment Essentially, what they would do would be they would have to find some pagans to figure out how to rule them, you know, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. they wouldn't want to impose the Bible on anyone. You know, it's like, well, I guess you better find some pagans to you know, let them do whatever you want so you can, you know, suffer for righteousness sake or something. And it's just like, I, I don't think that is reasonable or rational or normal. You know, I think you you have to ground your morality somewhere. And if not the Bible, then where? But, right. Yeah. And, you know, you look at like... um this is a uh, Psalm thirty three twelve. It says, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance." And it seems like when you look at the founding fathers, they understood that, right? And so, I mean, even I think still on our money, it still says one nation under God, doesn't? Or in God something along those lines. And God, and God, we trust. That's what it says. And you know, the pledge of allegiance is one nation. Under God, and and I don't. Well, I think you know, many of the blessings we've experienced are blessings that are Deuteronomic in nature. Like I mean, uh-huh. I think when you, you have a nation that acknowledges God as sovereign, like there are blessings that come from that, and the remarkable right. prosperity that you see within our own country are it is coming from a formal acknowledgement of God as being in charge. Right. It's a testimony of of Psalm thirty three, for example. Right, right. Now, you know, as we're you know abandoning those things, then um, yeah. gas goes up to <laughs> <laughs> five ninety nine or, or whatever whatever it is. It's not quite that high here in Alabama, but um, my wife was like posting in a in the group me, uh, you know, how excited she was that she found gas at four oh nine or whatever. I know, and I know. I, I laughed at that. I, I thought. Uh, my my reaction to that was to think, uh, man, we're excited at 4.09, you know, and I wanted to make a sarcastic comment about this is how far we've fallen. But then I thought, well, we should be thankful in all circumstances <laughs> anyways. <And> so, <laughs> like, uh, you know, you just keep your sarcastic comment to yourself. Like, we should be rejoicing in all things, right? It's never in a, right. we shouldn't be grumbling and fussing and complaining anyways, you know. But, right. Um, but, um. Yeah. That's but the yeah, result. gas prices go up. And, gas, yeah. gas goes from one fifty nine to four fifty nine. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, I, I, yeah, I think you see the founding fathers. They they understood this, and I mean, if you if if you want to argue that the founding fathers, when they wrote, you know, when they drafted the Constitution, when they drafted the Bill of Rights, when they drafted the Declaration of Independence. Uh, now I I understand, you know. Um, when it comes to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, you know, it's not the same authors. I think there were only um, six common authors between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. So I, I understand the, that it's not all the same people there. But regardless, um, you know, you see 
they understood that it was imperative that they acknowledge God's existence and that God is the one who is giving us rights. He's giving us, uh, he, he, God is the one who gives government authority in the first place. Right. And, right. and, and to ignore that and say that, you know, they clearly meant separation of church and state, meaning there can be no, you know, traces of Christianity when it comes to our government, especially uh, the laws that government enacts. Then I, you're just totally well, ignoring it's, it's, it's all the work they did. Yeah, you're ignoring that, but it's nonsense. It's just like, how do you, like, okay, you're right. Let's take the Bible out of it. All right, so we can't punish murder anymore because the Bible talks about murder. Yep. Take the Bible out of it. You can't punish stealing anymore because the Bible says, like, thou shalt not steal, right? Right, right. Those so, are Christian values. You, are Christian you can't have those anymore. <laughs> yeah, but they're not, I mean, they're not shared. They're obviously not just shared values with every culture and every society. We're living in a culture and society right now that does not share the value thou shalt not kill when it comes to the unborn. And there's been plenty of you know societies throughout the history of the world that do not share that value. You know, Hitler did not share that value with the Jews, right. okay? So like if if like there's no way to unravel the mess. I mean, God defines morality for us. So like you say, okay, well we can't have we can't legislate morality. You know, you think you've said something profound there. Uh, then I guess we can't punish murder, and I guess we can't right. punish punish theft. You know, yeah. and like you know, the truth is that socialism is theft, and that like is exactly what's happening at that point. And the only way to push against socialism is to is to, you know, be pushing at it because the Bible says thou shalt not steal. You can't take money that I've earned and worked for and give it to people who haven't earned it and haven't worked for it. And so, right. but then like you, you get rid of that. Like, I mean, like, what do you, what do you have left? Right. I, so, I mean, at, at every single point, whatever the laws are, like you, like you get rid of everything that's in the Bible, you have nothing left. Like there's nothing left to, what do you right. do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, like the issue is, well, where do they come from, right? Like, where is your morality coming from? Where are your laws coming from? Who gets to say? And you don't like the Bible's grounding for it, then what are you going to appeal to? Is the point? And you know, so I guess not. It's not just that you can just pull the audience and figure out what parts of the Bible they agree with and then declare those to be neutral. Like the issue is, like, like, like this is irrational. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you have to, uh, you have to have some grounding for your morality, and the Bible is a grounding for that. And and uh, you know, and Christians need to quit being embarrassed by it. That's all. That's all we have, man. Like you know, and it's not like all we have. Like it's a pitiful thing. It's like that's what we have, and it's mm-hmm. enough. It's sufficient. And yeah, and you have to trust in it and depend on it and quit apologizing for it. Uh, and you know, if if people would be more bold in that kind of way, then like it may be that many people will repent too. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I love that too, what you said. I mean, look, if, all right, if we want to take Christianity out of it, then we need to remove all of the laws that, you know, penalize murder and rape and theft, right? right. Because those are, those are Christian values. And slavery. Those, and, sla- and slavery. Right, right. All of these things, you know, uh, they're Christian, they're Christian values. And you can argue that they're not, that they're common sense, but you're just wrong. I mean, you're just flat out wrong, and you there is no basis for morality outside of the Christian worldview because God has already said what is good and what is right and what is evil and what is wrong. So, uh, Tim, that's that's everything that I've got. Is there anything um, that you want to touch on that that maybe we didn't we didn't really get to in the conversation? 
Yeah, I'm sure that we could go a variety of uh, different directions with um, the topic in general, but then I think the broader point is uh, made that you do have to have some sort of grounding for your morality, and if it's not the Bible, then what is it? And, you know, atheism essentially doesn't have that, or secularism is bankrupt at that point, and atheism doesn't have uh, an objective moral grounding. And I think the more that our uh, culture and society does decay around us, the more that, like, uh, it'll be clear that we need God's word to govern us in that way, and that's our only hope. And you have a lot of people right now who are basically trying to chuck that over the rails, but then the shocking thing is how far they're going. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, it's not actually shocking if you understand that this is essentially what the scriptures will tell you. It would happen when a society refuses to honor God and his thoughts. They become futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts are darkened, and be, professing to be wise, they become fools. Exchange the glory of the you know immortal God you know to images resembling uh, man at that point. So God gives them over to certain kinds of iniquity, and that's what we're seeing in our society that God is giving as they're, they're not honoring Him in their thoughts. He's giving them over to things that we thought unthinkable, right? Mm-hmm. We thought these kind of things are unthinkable, but then what we're finding is they're not. You know. And you're going to have individuals marrying robots, and you're going to have individuals marrying their pets, and you know normalizing pedophilia and every. There's no like, there's no breaks apart. Like you take away the break of the Bible, there's nothing objective left. And and the problem is that sin always wants to go further and further and further and go and and um, and what's more, and like if you you check the Christian worldview, you check the whole project. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, yeah, obviously there's a lot of different ways that you could really take this conversation. Um, but I, I do think that is sort of the root issue of the problem is once you once you try and argue that God needs to be re- removed uh, from politics altogether, then you essentially have no justification for government. Um I mean, there's, and not only government, but there's no justification for your morality in general. And I don't think, I, I just don't think people understand that. I think too often uh, our society takes that for granted because we are, st- even now, even today, we are still benefiting from the Christian worldview that our nation was founded out of. And, you know, now that's fading away and fading away quickly and and you're right there will be people who come along and and not only say like hey it's 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 not only okay but it's it's good to you know be attracted to the same sex it's good to mutilate our bodies and pretend that uh we're we're a gender that we were not born as uh they'll they'll say hey it's good to be attracted to you know children uh, and it's it's good to be attracted to animals, you know. Eventually, it'll be it's good to murder the people we don't like, right? Well, it already and, is, yeah. <laughs> and right, yeah, I mean, it is that when it when it comes to abortion, it, it well, we it, are already there. Even is that there. in the public? Or, I mean, you know, there, I can't tell you how many times I've seen liberals essentially advocating for essentially that towards conservatives, right? Uh, you know, but. Um, and, and that's essentially what's happened with the great reset thing that we've experienced recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think really we're just we're just we're seeing you know um, I guess it was in the book of Judges to uh, 
maybe two times it says everyone did right. what was right in their own eyes. And that's essentially a description of the atheistic worldview, right? Is, right. is once you reject God, um, then you reject morality and everyone will just do what they think is okay. And, and uh, we're, we're seeing that more and more, but even, even now we are still benefiting from this idea that there are still, you know, some things that g generally, you know, with massive exceptions sometimes uh, are still considered evil, but you will see those fade away. I mean, if, if you want to reject God, then eventually you'll reject those things as well. And I think we need to get people to understand that once they reject God, they reject any justification for anything that they think uh, is like murder is bad. For example, you just lose it and you can't, you don't have a justification anymore. And so, so we as Christians, we really need to be, you know, say, we need to be saying that and, and we need to be okay with the justification that God said it and that's a good enough reason right and and realize that they that uh someone who rejects god's existence um or even someone who you know who realizes god is real but but hates him you know they don't have anything like that all they have is their own justification they all they have is well i think it's it's good or i right. think it's bad and and that's a <laughs> i mean Flimsy saying god him. said it do what now it's a flim flimsy ground to stand on yeah that's that's flimsy and we have you know a solid rock to stand on we have truth to stand on a solid foundation and they simply don't and and right. we need to make that plain and we need to make that clear and so hopefully this has been a helpful conversation for you guys and and hopefully it's you know hopefully in all of this it's also not only you know helped you to understand uh, how God views government, what the purpose of government is according to God, um, and the benefits of of uh, introducing uh, the Christian worldview and letting the Christian worldview influence politics. Uh, it's beneficial for so many reasons, and God says it's beneficial. He, he straight up says that the nations who do that are blessed. Right, but then not only that. Hopefully, hopefully this has been helpful in, in helping you understand what the founding fathers thought, because they understood these things and they were willing to uh, risk their lives in so many ways, and and their families' lives, and their you know their fortunes, um, their livelihoods um, on this idea. And and you know, there's too many people out there who want to try and pretend that the founding fathers were the same as like a you know a a 12 year old atheist on a message board somewhere that they, they pretended they were Christians, but in reality they weren't. And I think there's a discussion to be had about, you know, how faithful were they as Christians? But then the reality is they did understand that God was real. They recognized that and they, they did fear him enough to allow him, allow him to inform uh, their view of government and how they founded the country. And so hopefully this has been helpful for you guys. Hopefully it's, equipped you guys uh, to be able to go out and have these conversations with people who disagree. And, and hopefully that leads to sharing the gospel and, and sharing the message of hope with them. Because if they, if they don't, if people don't hear the gospel, then they, they will not turn from their sin. They will not realize that there's a hope. Uh, there is a, a way to avoid the punishment that comes 
with sin. Um, and so, so hopefully this has equipped you guys to be able to have those conversations. And we want to take the time too, to thank you uh, for listening and, and supporting us. And uh, we wish you guys a happy July 4th and we'll catch you on the next one. This has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting us through Patreon. If you would like to be Bible Bashed personally, then please know that we also offer free biblical counseling, which you can take advantage of by emailing us. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move.